Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. First. And so, anyways, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start a series today entitled 15. It is going to be a verse-by-verse study of the chapter of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 15. The reason why is because our theme verse for 2021 as a ministry and as a church is verse number 58. So I want you to look at verse number 58 before we read the text and really the passage that we're going to teach from. And I want to show you why I believe the Lord led me to talk about this idea of being unmovable from the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter number uh, 15 and not just verse 58. I referred to this last week, but you read a verse like verse 58, maybe you've got it memorized. Um, it is what I have begun to refer to as a bestseller verse. It is a verse that you can put on a t-shirt, you can put it on a coffee mug, everybody feels encouraged because it says, be steadfast, be unmovable, be always abounding. But how do you do that? Let's just be very honest. It is not a good time in society to be unmovable, is it? Society is moving much more quickly than what it ever has before. Culture is changing the lies that are being spread, maybe the lack of truth. It is hard to be unmovable in a society that is always moving. But I want you to look at verse number 58, okay? The Bible says this. Let me get there first, too. Verse number 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. Can someone tell me, by looking at the verse, what is the very first word of that verse? Say it out loud together. Therefore. Therefore. What have we always heard? When you see a therefore, you got to see what it's there for. Okay? Meaning. Verse number 58 is not a standalone verse. You get to verse number 58 and it says, Be steadfast, be unmovable, be always abounding. But it precedes it with therefore. Meaning that you will not be steadfast, you will not be unmovable, you will not be abounding in the work of the Lord unless you know why and how you can do it. So where is that found? It's found in the preceding verses. So now I want you to take your Bibles and look back at verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 11. The whole chapter leads up to verse number 58. But unless you understand verses 1 through 57, you will not understand how to be unmovable. You will not understand how to be steadfast. You will not understand how to be always abounding. So verse number 1. He says, Moreover, my brethren, I declare unto you, the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Someone talk to me and tell me, who is he writing this to, saved or unsaved? Saved. Everyone's like, oh, that's a tricky one. That's a 50-50 one. If I'm the guy who yells it out really loud and I'm wrong, I'm going to be embarrassed. So it's saved people, okay? So who's he writing it to, saved or unsaved? Saved. Okay, 
So he says, I preached unto you the gospel wherein ye stand. Verse number two, by which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. He's not saying that you have to remember what was preached to be saved. He's saying that you will live it out as you recall what I taught you, unless ye have believed in vain. Such a powerful phrase. We'll try to get to it in some of our teaching, but I want you to underline that in your thinking. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and that He was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that He was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all He was seen of me also as one born out of due time. When did Paul see Jesus Christ? The road to Damascus. He said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest, or why, why persecutest thou me? Why kickest thou against the pricks? So Jesus, Paul has encountered Christ himself. And let me just say this. Sometimes the, the word gospel right now is trendy, okay? And so sometimes it can get convoluted. It can get kind of mixed up. We can add stuff to it. We can take stuff away from it. If you want to, I would encourage you to mark in your Bible verses 3 through 8, as this is the biblical definition of the gospel. And I want you to notice his wording. He says, according to the scriptures. Two times in those verses, he says, according to the scriptures. He said how that Christ died and was buried and rose again, according to the scriptures. But then he follows that up with personal experience. And let me just say, the gospel is not something that exists in a vacuum to where it is truth that cannot be experienced. The gospel at its best is truth that is followed by personal experience, by personal life change. It's not something that we just say, well, this is what I believe. One, two, three, repeat after me. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. Amen. I believe that. And eternity is settled. That's all true. But it is also something that according to this passage, he said James saw him. The 500 other people saw him. And now I have seen him. So what does that mean? I want you to look at verse number nine. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. If you take nothing else from this lesson, I would encourage you to put stars, highlight, underline that phrase. Because if you are here today, it is not because of anything that you have done, but it is because of the grace of God. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. So what makes you unmovable? The first thought that we're going to pull out of this chapter is that the gospel makes you unmovable. The gospel makes you unmovable. I know what you're saying, okay? Well, I already believed in the gospel. I already accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I got my ticket punched to heaven. I'm going to eternity. That's not where the gospel stops. The gospel is something that, not, that does not just change your day or your eternity. It changes your reality. It doesn't just change your afterlife. It changes your present life. And when we begin to grasp that is when we will become steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's pray. We'll ask God to help us give you a couple thoughts from the Scriptures, and then we'll be done. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to look into your Word. 
Lord, I thank you that you are a God that not only calls us to be unmovable, you call us to be steadfast, but you're also a God who gives us the resources and the knowledge and the wisdom to know how to do that. God, I ask you to help any of us in this room who are seeking to become unmovable by our own power to step back and see just how this thing that we call the gospel makes us unmovable. Lord, I pray that you would bless us. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that you give me the words to say. In your name we pray. Amen. We closed last week's lesson with the story of the Eddystone Lighthouse, and I'm not going to take the time to refer back to it, but something that I've been mulling over this week as, as I prepared and read through these first couple of verses for the first lesson of this series was that a lot of times when we look at things that are unmovable, what we often fail to realize is that there is normally something that is underlying that makes them strong. You look at something like a lighthouse, it's, it's normally tested by storms, it's tested by the tempest, it's, it's tested by winds and waves, it's tested by all these things, but a lot of times we look at it and we say, well, this is the lighthouse. This is, it's, it's, it's light, it's, it's depth, it's, it's width, it's height. We look at all those things and we see the physical lighthouse. But what many of us fail to understand is that normally anything that is secure, that is unmovable, that is steadfast is more than what just meets the eye. Meaning that the higher that something goes, the deeper it must also go. If it is going to withstand storms, if it's going to withstand testing, if it's going to be a beautiful picture of light and of height and of all, of all the things that we admire about it, there's not just what is above the ground that is keeping it secure. There's not just what is above the ground that is keeping it steadfast. There are things that are under the ground. The greatest trees that we see in our world and that maybe make National Geographic or they make your science books are not just ones that grow high, they are ones that grow deep. And if you are going to be a strong Christian in this world, your height does not matter unless you have depth. Many times we want the beauty and the physical attraction and, and the, the signs, of the showing of strength, of height, but we fail to realize that height is determined by depth. Height is determined by depth. And what we have right now as Christians and as churches and as society is we have Christians with height but no depth. Or we have Christians whose depth has not gotten even deep enough. They have not rooted themselves in the Word of God to where they can even begin to grow some height. And when we think about something like a lighthouse, what is above the ground is what we visualize. But what is below the ground in its foundation and in its depth is what makes it unmovable. Your depth as a Christian comes from none other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The thing that you first believed on. The thing that you first found this thing called the Christian life. From point A, the gospel is what changes everything about you. And if you do not deepen yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it does for you and how it can change your life, you will struggle with your height. You must root yourself in this. And as Paul closes out this book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 15, he says, Moreover, brethren, meaning this, I'm about to give you something that is very important. I'm about to give you something that I want to elevate its importance in your mind. And what does he say? Moreover, brethren, you should obey more. You should do this. You should be steadfast. You should be un. All of those were great challenges, and those were all challenges that were found in Scripture and in this book. But he says, Moreover, brethren, I preach unto you the gospel. 
So where is our strength and our, our moorings and where does our depth come from? First of all, we should stand in the gospel. We should stand in the gospel. He says this in verse number one. He says, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand. He says that if you're still standing, it's not because of anything that you have done. It is because of what Christ has done through you. And let me just say, I know that for all of us right now, we know that we are headed for a time to where it looks like our Christianity will be tested. But if we make it through it, or if we have any success in the next couple of years as Christians, any sort of spiritual success, it is not going to be if in four years, five years, eight years, ten years, we can look back on and we can pat ourselves on the back and say, you know what, that was all a result of how you planned and prepared. If we are still standing as Christians in the future, it will be none other than when we, than every single day waking up and saying, I'm not standing here on my own. I'm standing here because Jesus Christ has helped me. Meaning this, that when your toughest times come, when you feel like your faith is being tested and you have to choose to stand, guess what? There is no way you stand on your own. You are standing in the exact same gospel that saved your eternity, and it is the exact same gospel that can help you through the reality of the things in life that you are facing. So first of all, stand in the gospel. Secondly, stay in the gospel. I want you to look at this in verse number two. He says, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. Once again, he's not saying that your salvation is based off of your memory. If it was, we would, all of us would be in a lot of trouble because I can't even remember what I go to the fridge for sometimes, okay? I get there and it's like, mm, maybe I need to walk back and try to, like if I just go sit back in the chair, the craving will come back to me and I'll remember, oh yes, I was here to get a Mountain Dew and not a bottle of water, okay? That if, it, if our salvation is based on our memory, we would be in trouble. But he says that your salvation is not based off of your memory. And I want you to listen to this. Your salvation is, and the influence of it and the effect of it is based off of what you recall about what Jesus has done for you. Let me just ask you a very simple but challenging question that I asked myself this week. When was the last time you recalled what Jesus Christ has done for you in your life? I'm not talking about when was the last time you even told someone about him. When was the last time you recalled what Jesus Christ has done for your life? Let's just be very honest. For most of us, staying in one place and thinking about one thing for a long period of time is difficult. You want to know what my, one of my first reactions is when maybe I sit down and I, I get a minute to myself or maybe, maybe my wife went in somewhere and I'm in the car by myself or something. You want to know what one of my first reactions is? Emails, text messages, social media, maybe something that I wanted to look up on Amazon. Most of the time, I'm not sitting there thinking, man, this would be a great four or five minutes to think about how good God's been in my life. Is anybody else with me on that? That is our distracted society, isn't it? Staying in one place is not really this generation's forte, is it? Staying and thinking and meditating and focusing on one specific instance is not really our strong point. So when was the last time that you said, I'm going to stay here? 
Did you know that most of the good things that result in your life are because you stayed long enough to see it happen? And most of the good things that you can meditate on about God that will change the way that your day lives rely on you staying in it long enough to get something out of it. How many times do we say, well, I know I need to read my Bible today, and so I'm going to, all right, man, that's a really good phrase, but I'm going to be late for work. Man, I I really like that. Maybe I'll come back to it. And we come home and we watch Netflix, we check social media, we text our friends, we do our homework, we work on a project, we work late, we make money, we do all these things, we worry. And so because of that, we never stay long enough for God to say, hey, this, this could help you today. And Paul says this, he says, your memory is going to be reliant, it's going to help you stay in the gospel. And then thirdly, is speak the gospel. He says in verse number 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. When Paul talked to this church, he didn't get there and say, Alright guys, this church, you guys are a mess. Corinth was not really known for its spirituality, if you go back and you read the book. And so when he got there, he took care of some sin, he took care of some things that were going on in the church, but he didn't say, alright guys, look, your sin... That's between you and the Lord. Let me give you a 10-step process for church growth here. Number one. No, he said, I want to tell you about the gospel that changed you. The gospel that was good enough for you to accept for eternity is also good enough for you to say, I'm going to live it that way. And so when Paul stood up in front of them, he he had a multitude of things that he could have said. But he says, I'm going to speak unto you the gospel. I want to give you two thoughts with this and then we'll fly to the next point because I know we're running out of time. But first of all is this. When was the last time you spoke the gospel and preached the gospel back to yourself? When was the last time you woke up and you started feeling this sense of dread or maybe you started wondering, am I good enough? Or maybe you're experiencing a breakup or you're experiencing financial situations or you're experiencing whatever. Whatever you are experiencing, when was the last time you said, my relationship with so-and-so does not dictate my relationship with God. In fact, my relationship with God should dictate my relationship with others. So when was the last time you woke up and you said, I'm struggling about this, God, but here's what I know. I know that you love me. I know that you saved me. I know that my eternity is settled. I know that I can have a relationship with you. As you remind yourself of those things, all of a sudden everything that is unimportant begins to fade away. All the lies begin to fade away and you can focus on what is true. So when was the last time you spoke the gospel to yourself? When was the last time that you spoke the gospel to someone else? If it is as good as what we say it is, we should be telling someone else about it. And sadly, for most of us, we are better at opening conversations about much more controversial topics than we ever are the the Bible, than we ever are the gospel. My wife always jokes that if I see someone in a West Virginia Mountaineer anything, okay, or they see someone in West Virginia Mountaineer anything, they're going to talk to us, okay? They're going to talk to me. In fact, we teach our son... One of the things that all West Virginians do is when you see someone in West Virginia gear, you say, how about them ears? It's not classy, okay? It's, it's, it actually is a great picture of what West Virginia is. Like, how about them ears? Like, we're not even going to say the whole mountaineer word. We're going to say ears and shorten it, okay? How about them ears? I've had hats on in the middle of the ocean, okay? 
and me and like one other person, and I've seen a guy like way off in the middle of the ocean on a on an island when we were on vacation, and I heard a guy say, "How about them ears?" And it's like, "Yeah, yeah, we gotta stick together." Okay, I will talk to someone about something so insignificant as the West Virginia Mountaineers, but many times it is difficult to get the words of the gospel out of my mouth. What are you talking about? What are you speaking about? And then the last thing is this, is not only should we stand in the gospel, stay in the gospel, speak the gospel, but we should show in the gospel or show the gospel if you want to say it that way. Paul says this in verse number 10. Actually, verse number 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul knew where he came from. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. You know, sometimes what I think we're really guilty of as a church and as Christians is we're really guilty of saying that the gospel is powerful, but living like it's not powerful enough to change who we are. We're really good at talking about how powerful the gospel is. Oh, the gospel can save anybody. It can change the life of anybody. It can turn your life around. But then we're really bad at living like it has actually changed us. Normally, we're, we, well, that's just who I am. I actually had this conversation this week. I hate when someone says, that's just who I am. You know what, say, what that says in the back of my mind? What you just said, if you apply it biblically to what this book says, and what you even say to believe if it's a Christian saying it, what you're saying is the Holy Spirit does not have enough power to change my negative attributes. I'm just naturally grumpy. Are you? What if Jesus would have said that? What if Paul, (laughs) this is where it almost gets humorous. This is where the logic breaks down. What if Paul would have said, well, I'm just a persecutor of the church. I'm just a murderer. And yet many of us will say, well, I'm just, I'm just attracted to that, or I'm just, this is just how I live, or this is just who I am. What you're saying is the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, is not strong enough to change who you are. When Paul says in verse number 10 that it is by the grace of God that I am what I am, he says, I'm not even, I'm not even good enough to be an apostle because of the things that I've done, and yet herein I stand. And there's some of you that right now, your biggest issue with Christianity is you haven't allowed it to change who you are. You still stress and and, and get, get worried just like everyone else that you're facing. You still doubt God just like everyone else in this world. You still struggle with joy. You still struggle with maybe peace. You still struggle with sin. You still struggle with all these things that this world has to offer. And so because of that, the gospel doesn't seem and feel very powerful to you. But when you allow it to begin to change you, when you allow it to begin to change who you are from the inside out, all of a sudden, now the thing that has changed your eternity can also change your reality. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, here's what I want us to do. When we think about something like being unmovable, let's just say that that's not easy in this world, is it? It's not easy to be unmovable. It's not easy to be steadfast or always abounding in the work of the Lord. In fact, for some of us, we're probably thinking right now, how do I get out of some of the work for the Lord that I'm doing? 
And yet, Paul, when he writes to them, he says, therefore. What makes you unmovable? What makes you want to do more for the Lord? What makes you want to be steadfast in this world? Is when you look back and you say, this is the gospel that I believed in. I want to stay here. I want to recall what Jesus Christ has done for me. I want to tell myself and tell someone else just how good God is. And then I want to ultimately begin to allow it to show in my life. I'll be honest with you, I'm standing in front of you today as someone who just within probably the last four to six years has begun to see this thing that I've believed for close to 25 years now. I'm beginning to see how it changes me. And that's not something you just wake up with one day and all of a sudden it's like, well, God, you did it. No, it is daily you walking with God, you saying, God, this is miraculous and I want you to let it take full reign of my life. So with every head bowed and every head closed, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to pray, talk to God there for yourself. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.